Welcome to AUKUS Amplified from the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons. We're advancing hip and knee patient care through education, advocacy, and research. Hello, welcome to the AUKUS Amplified podcast. My name is Stefano Bini, and I'm the chair of the Digital Health and Social Media Committee. This will be the first of seven podcasts brought to you from the 30th AUKUS annual meeting. I'd like to introduce my co-host, Dr. Chad Kruger. Hello, Chad. Hey, Stefano. Thanks for having me today. Awesome. Glad to be here with you. And also Alberto Carli, MD, who is the senior author from this research project. Welcome, Alberto. Hello, Stefano. Hello, Chad. Great to be here. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's awesome. And unfortunately, Dr. Keeley Boyle, uh, who is the lead author on this project, is uh, actually busy taking care of an infected joint as we record. So we're going to take a quick second to bring her in in a live audio tape to explain to us a little bit why it was that she got so interested in this particular project. Keeley, over to you. What drew me most to this project was the morbidity associated with periprosthetic joint infection and the fact that the outcomes after treatment of PJI are not necessarily where our community would like them to be with our current treatment options. And I think that the idea behind this project was a great idea to further understand what's really happening in a preoperative setting and an intraoperative setting, meaning is there more bacteria there and we're not catching those from a preoperative aspiration And then further trying to understand, is there anything that we can do in a preoperative setting or either in an intraoperative setting that's going to optimize our patient outcomes for PJI? So that is really why I thought this project was going to be very important to our community. And then the other side of this, to take it a step further, which is hopefully going to be in the next phases of of this project, is that can we do anything preoperatively with these patients that experience PJI, meaning are there certain bacteria that we maybe can treat preoperatively with antibiotics or other mechanisms of study that enhances our patient outcomes after the surgical procedure for PJI, whatever that may be. So that was kind of the next step. So Are preoperative antibiotics targeting that pre-aspiration bacteria going to be effective at decreasing the bacterial burden for the intraoperative treatment or surgical treatment for PJI, and will that enhance patient outcomes? Kelly, that was a terrific expose on that particular topic, and so now we're caught up on what drove you to look at this topic. Now, Alberto, as a senior author, what were your thoughts when uh, Kelly brought you this project? So this was a really interesting project that we got involved in, and Achilles done a fantastic job of helping bring it all together. Both her and I have a real interest clinically and on the research side for periprosthetic joint infection. It's a growing problem that we're going to see more and more of. It's rare, but given the number of joint replacements we do, it's a problem we're all going to eventually face. And as we commonly know, the Establishing a diagnosis of infection in PJI is challenging. It depends a lot on host factors, the strain that we're dealing with, and then also if patients have received antibiotics. What we've interested, what we've been looking at specifically now, especially where I work at uh, special surgery in New York, we're certainly seeing an increased push 
towards going from two-stage revisions to now one-stage revision. And of course, when we do that, what really guides us a lot in determining whether patients are good candidates for a one-stage revision, for example, or even perhaps for a debridement and implant retention, is really identifying the pathogen. Because if we know that we have, for example, a pathogen to begin with, it can really help us determine the prognosis of our treatments. For example, MRSA infections tend not to do too well when we leave the components in. And of course, when we don't have an actual bug, the actual literature would suggest that a one-stage classically is not the way to go. So as we began to think about doing more of these one-stage revisions, certainly as they become more and more popular, really understanding what the organism is is really important. And a question that we sort of brought up is that we're really driving this decision entirely on the culture results that happen before surgery, the synovial aspiration. And that really results in one single culture, and that drives everything. And then, of course, we go ahead and do the operation. We do the surgery, the procedure that we think is correct. And of course, while we're there, we usually get multiple tissue samples, which the international consensus has said is the really necessary in more than three and sometimes more than five samples. And then after surgery, many days after, we get some new information. We sometimes find out that additional bacteria are growing. And a big question that we asked is, what if you actually find out that the new information you get if you knew that before surgery, that may have actually changed the procedure you would have done. For example, if you actually cultured a low virulence organism and then you found MRSA, how that may have changed what you wanted to do. So we wanted to examine that. So that brings us to a very important point, which is the title of this paper, which is, are intraoperative cultures necessary if the aspiration culture is positive? And you performed a very specific type of study. It's called a concordance study. So we'll let the chat and you get into the details of what that means, but I also want to congratulate you because this paper won the RAND Award. And we're extremely grateful to the selection committee for it. This certainly is not just a single effort. It's the effort of all of the authors on the team, including some real experts in infectious disease who helped us put this all together. So really a wonderful team effort, and we're very grateful for the award. All right, so Dr. Carly, I wanted to ask you a question about this study and how it was set up. So how did you determine you should do a concordant study for this idea? Yes, yeah, so that's a great question. This is a, a retrospective analysis, essentially, of all of the cultural results we had from our prosthetic infections over a nine-year period at HSS. And because we were really trying to determine if the aspiration cultures and the sort of intraoperative cultures matched, we really wanted to clearly define what concordance and discordance were. So concordance really was the idea that whatever you get in the aspiration, you get in the actual culture. You get MRSA, you get MRSA. Discordance is where you have a clear disconnect, where you get one pathogen uh, on the aspiration, and then in the actual tissue aspiration, tissue culture results, you get something different. So that was basically the idea. We wanted to clearly define this in the paper. Okay. And does breaking it down like that make it more difficult for the study to obtain the proper power? Or how did you handle getting to that level of methodology? So initially, yes, it did, because we actually broke it down further on our initial run through. We actually wanted to define a few more groups. We actually wanted to actually look even deeper into the bacteria to determine, for example, if the bacteria, let's say you have a different bacteria in your actual tissue culture than your aspiration, 
were those bacteria actually sensitive to the same antibiotics or not? So, for example, if it was sensitive to the same antibiotic, you could get away by giving the same broad-spectrum antibiotic. So, we began to dive down into more deeper definitions. But then we actually had to scale it back because we realized with the numbers that we had, we would just end up with too few results. So, in the end, we tried to go as more of a simplistic design, discordant and concordant, but then still be able to dive down into these groups more specifically to parse out salient features and also because some of these bugs, for example, are a little bit more rare, such as polymicrobials, low valence, et cetera. I, you know, I think that description really hones in on how realistic some of these study designs have to be based on what our patients are and, and what the study idea is that we're looking for. So congratulations on, on really getting to that. So Dr. Carly, can you walk us through the results of this study in a brief manner? Sure. So over a nine-year period, we have a total of 363 patients with about 189 hips, 174 knees. And overall, when looking at all the bacterial results, we had a concordance rate of just over 75%, 76.6%. And that left about 23% of the time where the two different results, aspiration and tissue culture, didn't match. When we actually began to remove all the culture negative ones, so now we're looking at bacteria in one and bacteria in other, our rates slightly changed. And at that point, we actually had 84% concordance and 16% discordance. So that meant that roughly one in six did not necessarily have the same results. We didn't really see much of a difference when it came to hips or knees. We also didn't see much of a difference when we broke it down to patient demographics, age, sex, gender, even in presence of inflammatory disease, even comorbidities, et cetera. But those are probably the main takeaway of the results. And did those findings surprise you at all or not so much? So I would say actually it did surprise us. I'm speaking to my infectious disease colleagues. They would sort of anecdotally say, oh yeah, we sort of see this every 10 to 15 cases. But as it turns out with the more cultures and numerous cultures we take, this actually becomes a little bit more uh, prevalent than we think. And that's why we think it's a pertinent finding and something that merits investigation. I would agree. I mean, one in six is not a small percentage of patients. It really makes me wonder, and I'm going to pose the question to you, in these cases, which results should I believe? Or which results do the infectious disease doctors decide to treat? Or do they treat them both? Or do we just take another culture and, and see what happens then? Right. So then I, then I think it's really important that, you know, that this paper is packed with a lot of results. A lot of, you can really get stuck in some of the more granular details. I think the big things to take away from is first, the number one question I get most of the time is, what about antibiotics. The anesthesiologist pushes the ANSEF before I make the incision, what do I do? So we actually did look at that carefully and we actually found that when you compared the number of patients that got antibiotics, which were fairly similar in both groups, that tended not to affect the concordance or discordant rates. That was also kind of surprising to us because you would think that maybe uh, the antibiotic was given, it may actually affect if a sensitive bug was found. The other thing that's also important is that what we found is that really the main issue here is that when you look at the sensitivity and specificities of aspiration cultures, they're still pretty good. So what that means is that overall, if you detect specific bacteria like MSSA or MRSA in your aspiration culture, the sensitivity is very good that that will be present in your tissue culture. So that seems to suggest that these bugs are real and they actually are in the joint. The tough finding is that we often found, or at least more often than what we thought, that you would additionally find another bug in the actual tissue culture. And that's where you have to actually be careful because sort of sleeper bugs such as P. acnes could actually be uh, staying there in the joint simultaneously and then you evidently have a polymicrobial infection and that can of course change your outcomes. 
So our main takeaway here is that this discordance exists. This doesn't mean that tissue cultures should not be taken. You actually should take tissue cultures in the event that you could find another polymicrobial infection that could be hiding. I think the bigger question that remains is what this means for treatments and treatment outcomes. That's something we don't know yet. Before we go there, let me jump in and ask a couple of questions. Do you have any information whether or not between the original diagnosis of infection based on an aspirate, some of these patients may have received antibiotics, which would have then selected out for a different organism? So the answer is we don't know because of the nine-year sort of retrospective cohort. Our more recent documents are obviously a little bit tighter with electronic health records, but certainly it is possible. We found that on average, there was about a, sometimes a, even a two to three week delay between the aspiration and the tissue culture as the patient gets optimized for surgery. It is possible the patient could have received some medication in an outside hospital, or even if they were not feeling too well, they could have taken some antibiotics. So the antibiotic results that we have are really perioperative, meaning did the surgeon give them something while they're in the operating room? Could they have taken something the day before? It's possible. So that's a limitation. And this also getting into more of the biology of infections, there's definitely some thought that all, many, if not all infections actually are polymicrobial, that you have a dominant organism that suppresses the others, which then come to the forefront if, if the dominant organism is suppressed, or when you have enough tissue culture to actually collect them. So unless I, I misunderstand that, I think your paper makes an excellent argument for obtaining cultures both preoperatively and intraoperatively to make sure we don't miss anything, if nothing else. So I would agree with that. I mean, what we found is that pathogens are quite unique. Uh, certainly MRSA, unfortunately, seems to be very reliable. There's good literature from non-orthopedic sources, which also suggests that MRSA, whenever it's there, it tends to be sort of all over and present. We found that really MRSA was the most reliable bug. If it was found in one, it was found in the other. However, P-acnes or C-acnes and even Enterococcus, a little bit less reliable. And it's actually quite interesting when you take our findings and results with other findings from the endoclinic, which actually found that their single-stage revisions didn't tend to do so well when Enterococcus was involved. So I agree. We just really don't know how these pathogens act in the periprosthetic environment. Certainly, we all know that the wounds that we have after surgery take time to heal. The idea that one bug should find itself in the wound by itself is a little bit um, you know, nonsensical. I agree with the thought that it's really polymicrobial. The problem is, is that we don't know which one's the most important. We don't know which one's the one that's causing all of the symptoms. So this doesn't really necessarily change the need for doing intraoperative cultures, but I think it sends a different message because you're doing this really to make sure you're covering your bases and not missing any other strains that are there. And the nice thing is this is something that's already accessible and being performed by surgeons worldwide which makes it a bit more attractive perhaps than some more expensive next-gen tests, which are certainly exciting, but still something that really need a bit more work to, to, until they find them find themselves in the mainstream. Yeah, and, and I think that's a good point. And even some of those more modern sequencing techniques kind of end us at the same result as your study, though, in the sense of in terms of treatment, because we can identify a lot of different bacteria that are present, but we still aren't sure which ones we should be treating or how to best treat them if it is in fact more than one bacteria, which in all likelihood it is. And that's where I'm really curious to see how things develop and possibly if you could tell us how you plan to build on this research kind of going forward to try to answer that question for treatment and clinical uh, applicability. 
Well, I think that there's certainly a few different directions you can take this. I think one thing that's important is that when looking at our results, about 10% of our infection cases were polymicrobial, which is actually quite surprising. We actually did do a deep dive into the number of cultures, because as you can imagine, sometimes we had two cultures. That was quite rare. The majority had three or more. And sometimes we'd have 10 cultures. So the big concern is handling of all of these cultures, the possibility of contamination, the possibility of unnecessary treatment. This is a limitation in the way that we take cultures right now. So at this point, at least what we do here at HSS is the majority of the surgeons try to take five cultures from different areas around the joint to try and spread out and not culture the same sample twice, use individual instruments, rangers or knives to take separate pieces, try not to take the same instrument and grab in multiple places so you can get truly different cultural results. But in terms of where we think this is going, I think there are a few different ways where, where this could go. I think the first thing we wanna do is try and study outcomes do patients with these discordant cultural results end up having worse outcomes? We know that polymicrobial PJI does not do well with treatment. We also know that MRSA and some organisms don't do well. Is this another layer that can help us predict prognosis? And then furthermore, certainly we need to enlarge the number of patients that, that we include um, because of course we may be underpowered for other conclusions that we just don't know about. I think from a more practice-based point of view, again, this just echoes the importance of taking multiple cultures. And again, holding antibiotics in our case didn't seem to affect this result. You may want to alter your use of perioperative antibiotics depending on the patient. So Dr. Carl, I wanted to ask you one question about the end of your conclusion in the abstract, where you talk about how clinicians could commence antibiotic therapy preoperatively in these cases, meaning because patients had received perioperative antibiotics before the start of the case, and they still grew this similar culture results to those who did not, that giving preoperative antibiotics is reasonable. Now, you don't mean surgeons should start these antibiotics a week before when the patient calls with a draining wound, I assume. Is that correct? Yeah. So I think you raise a very good point. And certainly this sort of phrasing in our discussion was a hot topic amongst all the authors in the paper. So in the paper specifically, we do sort of suggest that possibly in the future, if this does bear out, if a person comes in with, let's say, a MRSA infection on aspiration, that you could conceivably begin antibiotics. This is mainly because MRSA was really, again, the most reliable bug to show up in your tissue cultures. This is not recommended for routine practice. If your patients are not septic and you have time to optimize them before surgery and then bring them to surgery and take tissue cultures, this, in my mind, is still the recommended treatment plan and what you should do to maximize your culture yield. What we were specifically pointing towards is that if you have a patient who's not doing well, who's medically ill, may even be bordering on sepsis, you may have a positive blood culture, for example, and you're sort of thinking of bringing the patient urgently to the operating room and you start wondering, should I give them some antibiotics? I don't want to mess up my tissue cultures. Our findings would suggest that if you do have MRSA on your aspirate, you can be pretty sure you're going to find MRSA in your tissue culture. And if your patient is ill, you can at least treat that MRSA-specific infection, not necessarily another culture negative or other non-vancomycin, for example, or tycoplanin, for example, sensitive organism. You'll still pick that up in the culture intra-op because you haven't knocked that down. But if your patient is exhibiting signs of, of, of systemic problems, you can at least treat this one bug because you do know it's likely not a false negative. If the MRSA is there, it's likely going to be in the joint. So I think it's important that surgeons understand that distinction. 
We are not suggesting routine preoperative treatment with antibiotics, not at this time. To be clear, at HSS and your own practice at this time, you're taking your patient back to the operating room to do the resection arthroplasty, stage one or stage two. Are you providing them with perioperative antibiotics prior to incision? This is a great question and a, a bit of a controversial question, as I definitely do not speak for all of my colleagues who vary slightly in, in practice. I would tell you personally, prior to a resection arthroplasty, I do hold the antibiotics. Of course, this is a little bit of a caveat because sometimes patients can come in, especially to tertiary institutions, having multiple failures, very complex prostheses and soft tissue envelopes. It can take time to get into the actual wound. So if there is some sort of big delay, then you may have to administer it. But here, the majority of us, I would say, do hold antibiotics prior to taking our tissue cultures, and then we go ahead and give them as soon as we've collected all of them. I will say that we do have a standardized kit for actually using the taking intraoperative cultures with five different specimens, and this has been sort of a coordinated effort uh, with nursing and, and OR personnel to make this a standard of care for all of the cases where we suspect infection. But I think it's important to say that the study is mainly in the area where you have a positive aspiration. We're not talking about aseptic revisions. We're not talking about culture negatives. So culture negative, I would argue, if you have a culture negative infection going in, you better have antibiotics. And I think everybody agrees on that one. Right. I think where there might be some disagreement is in holding antibiotics in patients with whom you already have a positive culture, whether it's staph or enterococcus yeah. or anything. Yeah. I mean, the main concern here is that what you could say, of course, is that if you end up giving the antibiotics, and I know that there's, you know, there are papers saying that it doesn't really make a difference, although that's a little bit controversial. Let's say, for example, you do have an MRSA and a strep. You now have polymicrobial PJI, or let's say an MRSA and a P acnes or C acnes. So you do have a polymicrobial infection. If you have that, you can appropriately at least prognosticate how poorly that patient's going to be. This is where like, we get into the granularity of things, because if you have two bugs that are, that are identically susceptible to the same antibiotic, the same antibiotic will treat them both, but it's still a polymicrobial infection. So we know that polymicrobial infections tend not to do better than monomicrobial. So the argument here is that if you have, let's say, a MRSA, and I was hoping we would actually see MRSA and E. coli, two really diametrically opposite bugs. We tended not to see that very often. When they were polymicrobial, it'd usually be C. acnes or some little yeah. bug which would be there. So I would yeah. tell you that like, at least in my point of view with this study, we do hold antibiotics for the explant. It's a little bit more dogmatic. We've always done it. And also because in all honesty, if we have a single solitary way of saying it, it prevents our anesthesiologists and nursing staff from giving antibiotics right away in a revision or in a, in a re-implant, for example. And I'm not sure what you think about re-implants, but we tend to hold antibiotics before we re-implant. No, um, I definitely do not. Yeah, so that's interesting. So I would say you know, at least- And even do I. If one of the guys that I work with uh, closely do. But again, you know. Alberto, that was perfect. Thank you for clarifying that for both of us, I think, to understand how you take this information and integrate it into your practice, which is really the purpose of these podcasts to provide our audience with information and show them how to integrate it into their practice where it makes sense for them. So thank you for participating. Thank you, Chad. This again is the first of seven podcasts brought to you by AUKUS Amplified from the 30th annual meeting of the organization. Thank you very much. See you in the next podcast.
Thank you for joining us for AUKUS Amplified. Visit aahks.org to learn more about how members of the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons educate, advocate, and investigate in the field of hip and knee replacement surgery.